So Daniel chapter four, um, just a quick review uh, that Daniel is divided, like Revelation, into three different divisions. Uh, chapter one is written in Hebrew, and uh, it is um, Nebuchadnezzar laying siege to Jerusalem, and um, Daniel and his three friends are taken in chapter one, and that's pretty much what happens. They get raised up once they get to Babylon. That's the first division of the book. Then in chapters two through seven, um, it goes from the Hebrew into the Aramaic. If you go to chapter two and look at verse four, it says, then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic. And these chapters two through seven um, deal with uh, the, the kingdoms that are going to be of the Gentiles. And then when we get to chapter eight, it goes back to the third division of the book, eight through 12, and that is written in Hebrew because it deals with the nation of Israel. So you have the three divisions of the book. And I think I pointed out on Sunday and on Wednesday the similarities, we're going to see another similarity tonight with um, the period of time. It's going to say seven times passed over Nebuchadnezzar. And uh, the number seven coming up and it relating to, I believe, a seven-year period of time, I find that's another interesting tie-in because that's one of the ways that um, uh, the tribulation um, is described time-wise, time, times, and half a times. Referring to a year, singular, times, plural, that's two years, and a, and a half. So you have the three and a half years. Well, we're gonna have seven times, or seven seasons tonight. And I just think that these are interesting connections between the two books. So as we um, look at chapter for this evening, we are in section two because we're dealing with um, um, Nebuchadnezzar. And let's look at the first three verses and I'll stop there and comment on that. Nebuchadnezzar the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the Most High God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. These, these verses here should actually be put at the end of chapter 37. And um, the reason being Uh, He's going to have an experience where he has a second dream. And uh, this chapter here is also going to give us a great deal more information about Nebuchadnezzar um, than we had before. Actually, there were some skeletons in the family closet, um, something I'm sure Nebuchadnezzar didn't boast about. Nebuchadnezzar suffered from a form of insanity, This chapter is a part of history taken from the archives of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar's form of insanity is pretty well identified and known today and is something which a number of world rulers have also suffered from. And um, he's going to be inflicted with this, I believe, for a seven-year period of time. So I would take the first three verses here and put it at the end of the chapter because this is when he makes the declaration because of what's going to happen next with uh, Nebuchadnezzar's dream or vision. Let's just look at one verse in verse four, and I want to comment on that. So this would be his second dream that he has. Nebuchadnezzar, verse four, was at rest in my house and flourishing in my palace. Uh, The personal pronouns, my, I, and mine, are already used three times in just this one verse. You will find them 
about three times in every verse from verses four through 10. So the focus and what the main part of our study tonight as it applies for you and I is the worst sin. There is one sin that is above all sins. And we're gonna be dealing with that and talking about it tonight. And it's the sin of pride. So I asked the worship team if they would do Micah 6, 8, but to do justly and to walk humbly with your God and to love mercy. And um, again, uh, this is something that he's going to have to learn the hard way. So the word me, I, and myself is gonna be reoccurring. So what we have in verses... um, Uh, 5 through 17 is the dream. This dream is going to differ big time from the one that he had back in chapter 2. Remember the dream that he had in chapter 2? He asked all the astrologers and soothsayers um, to tell him the dream that he had. He wouldn't tell him. He said, if you guys are worth your salt, you're going to tell me. Um, it's different with this one because he's actually going to tell them the dream, but they still won't be able to interpret it. So let's pick it up in verse 4 through 17. We'll read the, um, the dream that he had. Verse 5, I saw a dream which made me afraid. And the thoughts of my bed and the visions of my head troubled me. Therefore, I issued a decree to bring in all the wise men of Babylon before me, that they might make known to me the interpretation of the dream. So then the the magicians, the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers came in. I told them the dream. So this is different from chapter two. But they did not make known to me its interpretation. But at last Daniel came before me. His name is Belshazzar, according to the name of my God. And in him is the spirit of the holy God, And I told the dream before him, saying, Belshazzar, king of the magicians, because I know that the spirit of the holy God is in you and no secret troubles you, explain to me the visions of my dream and I have seen and its interpretation. These were the visions on my head while while I was on my bed. I was looking and behold, a tree in the midst of the earth. Its height was great. Uh, The tree grew, became strong. Its height reached into the heavens and it could be seen to the ends of the whole earth. Its leaves were lovely, its fruit abundant. And in it was food for all. And the beasts of the field found shade under it. Uh, The birds of the heaven dwelt in its branches and all flesh was fed from it. And I saw in the vision on my head while on my bed, and there was a watcher, a holy one coming down from heaven. Now this is a reference to one of the angelic um, angels, different categories and classes, according to the New Testament, powers and principalities, different levels of authority. We'll see that when we get to Daniel chapter 10. Um, That one angel was actually holding up um, a prayer request. Daniel had prayed a prayer. And uh, a demonic angel held up the angel that was sent to give the message to Daniel for three weeks. So we do see this hierarchy of authority and power. And we'll get to that when we get to Daniel chapter 10. So this watcher here, um, a holy one coming down from heaven, he cried aloud and said, chop down the tree, cut off its branches, strip off its leaves and scatter its fruit, and let the beasts get out from under it and the birds from its branches. Nevertheless, leave the stump and roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze, in the tender grass of the field, and let it be wet with the dew of heaven, 
and let the, him graze with the beasts of the grass of the earth and let his heart be changed from that of a man and let him be given the heart of an animal until seven times pass over him. This decision is by the decree of the watchers, plural. That's um, being given here. So there was more than one. And this sentence by the word of the holy ones. In order that the living may know that the most high rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whoever he wills, and he sets over it the lowest of men. This dream I, Nebuchadnezzar, have seen. Now, you, Belshazzar, declare its interpretation since all the wise men of my kingdom are not able to make known to me the interpretation, but you are able for the spirit of the holy God is in you. So here we have uh, the dream. Again, it's different from the one in chapter two because he refused to reveal it. Here he tells exactly what had happened to him, but he just wants to know what, what it means. And in verses 19 to 27, we have um, Daniel just laying it out exactly the meaning of what he had dreamt. Verse 19. Then Daniel, whose name was Belshazzar, was astonished for a time, and his thoughts troubled him. So the king spoke and said, Belshazzar, do not let the dream or its interpretation trouble you. And Belshazzar answered and said, my lord, may the dream concerning those who hate you and its interpretation uh, concern your enemies. In other words, Daniel saying, I wish this wasn't about you. I wish it was against your enemies, the interpretation of this dream. Verse 20, the tree that you saw which grew and became strong, whose height reached to the heavens and could be seen by all the earth whose leaves were lovely and its fruit abundant, in which was food for all, under which the beasts of the field dwelt, and on whose branches the birds of the heaven and their habitation. It is you, O king, who have grown and become strong. For your greatness has grown and reached to the heavens, and your dominion is to the ends of the earth. And inasmuch as the king saw a watcher, a holy one, coming down from heaven and saying, chop down the tree and destroy it, but leave its stump and its roots in the earth, bound with a band of iron and bronze in the tender grass of the field. Let it be wet with the dew of heaven and let him graze with the beasts of the field till seven times pass over him. This is the interpretation, O king. And this is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord the King. They shall drive you from men, your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. You shall uh, eat grass like an ox. Uh, they shall uh, wet you with the dew of heaven. And seven times shall pass over you. And here's the word, until, which is going to be come up a couple times tonight because we're actually doing a cross-reference between Nebuchadnezzar and none other than the fall of Lucifer himself. Until, there's a big until when we study his history, till you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of man and gives it to whomever he chooses. And inasmuch as they gave the command to leave the stump and roots of the trees, your kingdom shall be assured to you after you have come to know that heaven rules. Therefore, O king, let my counsel be acceptable to you. Break off your sins and bring in righteousness and your iniquity by showing mercy to the poor and perhaps there may be a lengthening of your prosperity. So now with this interpretation, um, we have about, oh, a period of a year that goes by. And um, so this, we read in verse 29 at the end of the 12 months. So from the time that he had the dream, we're, we're talking about a whole year going by. And now he knows that it's about him, 
And, uh, but it, nothing has happened in this, this, this period of time. But as we get to verses 28 to 33, um, it says in verse 28, and this came upon King Nebuchadnezzar at the end, end of the 12 months, he was walking about the royal palace of Babylon. Now remember, um, um, we mentioned about Ephesus, that the temple of Diana was there. It was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Well, one of the other seven wonders of the ancient world were the hanging um, gardens of Babylon. So, again, that's uh, interesting to me where we have two of these ancient world marvels, one of them in, in uh, Ephesus and this one in Babylon. The hanging, and this is basically what he's, what he's looking at. And the king spoke saying, is not this great Babylon that I have built for royal dwelling by my mighty power and for the honor of my majesty? So he's seeing all this, he's taking all the credit, he's taking all the glory, and it says, while the words were still in the king's mouth. Now remember that, because I'm going to give you a New Testament parallel that goes along with this. So while he's still speaking, this a voice came from heaven saying, King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken, the kingdom has departed from you, and they shall drive you from men, and your dwelling shall be with the beasts of the field. They shall make you eat grass like the oxen, and seven times shall pass over you until you know that the Most High rules in the kingdom of men, and he gives it to whoever he chooses. And that very hour the word was fulfilled concerning Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from men, ate grass like an oxen, his body was wet with the dew of heaven. Now the reason I'm thinking it's seven years here is because it tells us that his hair had grown like eagle's feathers. In other words, he probably had drags. And, that, and then it also had, he had nails uh, like bird's claws. So I think it took, if it's, if it's seven seasons, some say, well, it could have been seven months, so on and so forth, could have been seven weeks. But because of the connection with Revelation, I'm seeing it as seven times as when we get to Daniel chapter nine again, we have the 77s. And um, so I'm thinking this is a, a literal seven-year period of time. Uh, first sidetrack tonight, I want to go to the New Testament, to the book of Acts chapter 12, to a place we visit on our first day when we take a trip to Israel. And we go to Caesarea. We go to the theater there, the amphitheater. It's absolutely gorgeous because, um, well, um, the city itself uh, was was just beautiful um, um, to be able to, to see it, and um, anyway, this is where Herod, in verse uh, chapter twelve, verse twenty, this is where Herod is going to die in Caesarea. It says in verse twenty, now Herod had been very angry with the people of Tyre and Sidon, but they came to him with one accord, and having made Blastus the king's chamber, their friend, they asked for peace because their country was supplied with food by the king's country. So on a set day, Herod, arrayed in royal apparel, sat on a throne and gave an oration to them. And um, the historians tell us that it was a golden garment that he had on, and when the sun reflected off it, it it just gave this glorious appearance to uh, Herod, and he was in this royal apparel. In verse 22, the people kept shouting, it's the voice of a God, not a man. Then immediately an angel of the Lord struck him. As the people were crying out, he's taking all this glory to, 
into himself. And we have an identical situation that Nebuchadnezzar went through. He's lifted up, he's puffed up, he's proud. He's taking all the, the accolades, if you would. And um, no sooner are the people getting the words out, it's not a man, he's a God, and he's taking it all in. Uh, the angel of the Lord struck him because he did not give the glory to God and he was eaten by worms and died. That's pretty grotesque. <laughs> but the word of the Lord grew and it multiplied and Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had fulfilled their ministry and they also took with them John whose surname was Mark. So we have this a New Testament example, something that happened to Herod, how he died, and what happened to Nebuchadnezzar when he goes insane for a seven-year period of time. Let's go back to Daniel, and we find um, uh, the last thing it said here um, in verse 33 again, that he was going to be turned because of his pride and not giving God the glory that um, he is now experiencing this seven years of of being broken. Now, uh, two places I'd like you to turn. Let's Let's go to Isaiah chapter 14, first of all. Isaiah chapter 14, what heaven must have been like before the fall of Lucifer. Uh, There's two classic, if you're taking notes, the two classic chapters and verses in the Old Testament are Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28. And it gives us the reason for the fall of Lucifer. I call them the five I wills. And again, I want to focus in on um, the word I And let's pick it up in chapter 14 in verse two. It starts with the hypothetical question. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How are you cut down to the ground? I find the wording there very interesting because that's exactly what happened to the same verbiage as used for Nebuchadnezzar. He was looked at as a mighty tree that was cut down. How are you cut down to the ground? You who weaken the nations. And here it gives the answer. For you said in your heart, so it wasn't even outward, but God knows our thoughts and intents. He said, I will ascend into heaven and I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. And the stars of God um, is a reference I believe to the other angels. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of clouds. I will be like the most high. So here are the five eyes where he's declaring that he is going to position himself and he wants to be Uh, glorified in the same way that God the Father was glorified. But instead, verse 15, yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, to the lowest depths of the pit. Now this is future tense, and um, because when we go to Job, he's in heaven. Um, In Revelation 12, he's in heaven. And there's war between Michael and his angel and the devil and his angels. He was somehow successful in deceiving one-third of all the angelic realm. And um, how he pulled that off, um, we don't know. But those are the numbers that we have in Revelation chapter 12. One-third of all the angels rebelled with them. There's eventually going to be, you've heard Star Wars, well, Angel wars are coming up. That's still yet future. And um, but in Revelation um, nineteen, 
after the battle of Armageddon, it tells us that the beast and the false prophet are cast alive into the lake of fire, but not the devil. The devil is thrown into the bottomless pit. And that's what this reference, I believe, is here. And it's future tense. The devil isn't in hell. The devil is in heaven. I know it blows a lot of people's minds when we say something like that. But that's backed up with scriptures. He walked on the earth. He tempted Jesus. He asked, and we made this point either last week or on Sunday, he personally asked if he could have Peter because he wanted to sift him. We're talking about the nature, that he's the accuser of the brethren, but one of his natures is that he's the father of lies, and he's been a murderer from the beginning and a liar from the beginning. So he walked the earth, but here it says, um, you shall be brought down to hell, to the lowest pit. So this is fulfilled in Revelation 20, if you're taking notes, for one thousand years and um, he's, he will be released at the end of that thousand year period of time to go out and deceive the nations God's going to use him one more time so this verse right here verse 15 I believe is future tense it says those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying is this the one or is this the man who made the earth tremble who shook kingdoms He's called the God of this world who made the world as a wilderness, destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of his prisoners or would not release. And um, it tells us in Jude, well, let's just go there quick because we got, uh, um, I got extra time tonight because we're only gonna do this one chapter. Let's go to the book of uh, Jude right before the book of Revelation. Look at an interesting verse here. Let's pick it up in verse five of the book of Jude. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterwards destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under the darkness of the judgment of that great day. All right, now, two thoughts here with this verse, two possible um, explanations for it. Evidently, those who rebelled with Satan, a third of them, we know that one-third of the Lord's ministry was actually casting devils, demons out of people. So there are some um, demonic demons that are alive and well on planet Earth today, but evidently there are some that are kept in reserve. And um, a couple thoughts here. One thought is they're kept in reserve for the day of judgment. Now this could mean, just turn to Revelation 9, and let's connect some dots between the book of Daniel and the, the book of Revelation. We're talking about these demonic forces, some of them are chained up. I personally believe that it is a reference to Revelation chapter nine because some of these demons are so horrific in their brutality and evil that they're being bound and chained until, until when? Well, my personal conviction is it's Revelation 9, um, verse 1, and we'll get there eventually on Sunday morning. It says, Then the fifth angel sounded, and I saw a star fall from heaven to the earth, and to him was given the key to the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and smoke rose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace, and the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of it. Then out of the smoke, locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpion of the earth have power. 
Uh, They were commanded not to harm the grass or the earth. That's what locusts do. There's famines right now taking place in Iraq and Iran that are devastating um, uh, the whole country, bringing it into famine. Uh, And they did not have the, okay, verse four. They were commanded not to harm the grass or the earth or any green thing or the trees, but only those who did not have the seal of God on their forehead. And they were given authority to kill them and to torment them for five months. So it's a judgment. And if you're taking notes, interesting side note here, five months is 150 days. That's the exact amount of time that the waters were upon the earth during Noah's flood. They were both judgments, but it's exactly the same number of days. And um, now I'm really going to get sidetracked here because I'm probably not the only one who have heard people say and have come across it on, on some website or something that the locusts spoken here are really the drones that are um, flying around. Matter of fact, in the news bites tonight, the second story is about these drones in New York City telling people to keep away social distancing, five feet, stay away, and they're going around. And because of that, there are those who are taking this, and I'm going to tell you why it's not a drone, okay? Um, so when you hear that, here's people who have enough Bible under their belt just to get them in trouble, <laughs> And let me just say with everything that's going on right now, unless you know the word and you know it well, you can be deceived very, very easily. So what's happening here, Jude tells us that there are demons that are kept in store for the day of judgment. Well, this is a day of the wrath of the Lamb. Jesus referred to it in Matthew 24 as there's never been a time like it, nor will there be a time like it Again, if you turn a couple pages to, uh, I think it's chapter 14, no, 16, we read in verse 13, I saw three unclean spirits like frogs coming out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the earth and of the whole world to gather them to, to battle for the great day of God Almighty. And as long as we're here, <laughs> remember I made the point on Sunday mornings, we're in chapters two and three, and it's all red letters. And then when we get to chapter four, all the way up to this verse right here, it's all black letters. And right after this verse that I just read, this is a battle of Armageddon, all of a sudden there's red letters. Why? Because now he's sort of taking a break in the action and he says, church, I want to add something here. So the red letters means he's, he's talking to you and I about this time. And he said, Bless, behold, I'm coming as a thief. Blessed is he who watches and keeps his garment lest he be naked and they see his shame. That's interjected. The natural flow would be to go from verse 14 to 16 and they called them together to the place of the Hebrew called Armageddon. But he says, hold it, church, stop. Everything that I'm telling you is true. As weird as this stuff, uh, to me, Re- Revelation chapter nine has got to be the strangest chapter in the Bible. So let's go back to chapter nine. Another reason it's not a drone is they can only do this for five months And their sting, in verse six, in those days men will seek death and will not find it. Well, that's weird. In other words, the body uh, should release the spirit at death, only that doesn't happen. And they will desire to die and death will flee from them. And the shape of the locusts were like horses prepared for battle and on their heads were crowns of something like gold and their faces were like the faces of men. They had hair like women, for years I read that this was really helicopters. Again, people who don't know their Bible really well, so it was obviously a a helicopter, and they're looking inside and looking through the the glass, and the man sitting there has long hair and so on and so forth. 
and their teeth were like lion's teeth. No, these are some pretty strange creatures that are being released. And they had breastplates like the breastplates of iron, and the sound of the wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, and their sting was in their tail, and they had power to hurt men for five months. And they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in the Greek, he's Apollyon. These are two names of Lucifer. Now, it says, for those who think it's literal locusts that have come up with that argument, the things, when, they're, when we're following these plagues, whether it's in Africa or in Middle East, it says they're moved by, by whichever way the wind is blowing. That's how they get from one place to the next. And they don't really have any order to them whatsoever. Uh, they can be in the millions, and I, in some cases I've been hearing even in the, in the billions. But there is a proverb that says, the locusts have no king. Well, why would it tell us that in the Proverbs or the Psalms? I can't remember it's one or the other. Why would it tell us that the locusts have no king? Because they don't. They don't mark march in rank and file. These do, because they have somebody over them. And he is over, um, we're reading here, he gives us the Greek and the Hebrew, Abaddon in the Hebrew, uh, but in the Greek it's Apollyon. And it's a reference to Lucifer himself. All right, let's go back to uh, Jude real quick. So I'll give you the second thought here Um, the second thought is for the judgment of that great day in other words we're talking the the scripture says don't you realize church that you're going to judge angels someday now there's a word thought so it could be that um, it's a reference to when they're going to be judged uh, I don't particularly hold to that position. I like uh, how it ties together with um, Daniel chapter nine. And they're released to bring torment uh, upon the planet. All right, let's go back to Isaiah. And we left off in chapter 14. And we talked about the lowest parts of the pit And you did not, okay, verse 17, who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities, who did not open the house of its prisoners. So again, it could be a reference to the king that is over them and not um, releasing them. All the kings of the nations and all of them sleep in glory, everyone in his own house. But you are cast out of the grave like an abominable branch, Let's see, I, wanted to go, I just wanted to go to 17 on that one. Turn with me now to um, Ezekiel. That's Isaiah. Go to Ezekiel chapter 28. And we have a different perspective of him being cast out of heaven, what his role probably was before he said the, the uh, I wills. So in chapter 28, if you look at the, uh, verse one, it says, the word of the Lord came to me again, saying, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord your God. Uh, this is an actual person, and it goes all the way through to verse 11, where now instead of the prince of Tyre, we have going from a prince to the king of Tyre. So let's read verse 11. Moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God, you were, past tense, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. Can you just camp on that for a second? Um, A creation of God that's perfect in beauty. And yet when people 
uh, talk about the devil and, and how he looks. It's always hideous and grotesque and uh, scary looking. Just the opposite is true. To the extreme, he was the most beautiful creature that God had ever made. Perfect in beauty. And then he says, you were in Eden. Okay, can't be the Prince of Tyre. There's no way the Prince of Tyre could have been in the Garden of Eden. You were in Eden, the Garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardis, the topaz, the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and emerald and gold. The workmanship of your trimbles and pipes. Now we have... a a creature here who's perfect in beauty. He's covered with these beautiful gems and stones, and yet he's somehow, with his anatomy, able to uh, create music at the same time because of your pipes, which were prepared for you on the day that you were created. Now, this has to be, um, there are denominations today that say that Lucifer and Jesus were brothers. No. Hebrews makes it very, very clear that of all the angels, including Lucifer, um, who was the anointed one that covers, was, is a created being. So it also tells us that every, in Colossians, everything that is was created by him and for him. So it was the Lord Jesus Christ who was actually the creator of Lucifer. So we read in verse 14, you were the anointed cherub who covers. And I have the idea of somehow him being a type of the Shekinah glory that was over the throne itself. And um, I have, to be honest with you, I have questions about this particular verse. Um, There's different interpretations. I've heard them all. Um, Who covers, I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. This just blows my mind. It makes it wander. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created. And here's this little word again, until. You were created And evidently, the angels, obviously, have free will, just like you and I do. The ones that rebelled with him made a conscious choice to join him and to rebel against the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And they were deceived by him, the until here, until iniquity was found in you. Well, what was the iniquity? Well, we read about that in Isaiah, the five I wills. And... And then we have, just like in Isaiah, what's really gonna happen. It says, by the abundance of your trading. Now that's interesting to me. That, uh, who is it, Tozer that says, Satan isn't busy, he's the author of busy. Let that set in a little bit. Satan isn't busy, he's the author of busy. By the abundance of your trading. I don't know, what do you trade in heaven? (laughs) I have no idea. But here's one of the things that caused him to fall. By the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. Notice, your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor, and I cast you to the ground. The Lord makes reference when the disciples came back after being sent out for the first time. They're all psyched up. I said, Lord, it was awesome. It was incredible. We even had power over the spirits, demonic spirits. And the Lord just to sort of calm him down a little bit, and he says, that's nothing. He said, I saw Satan fall like a star from heaven. That's what this verse is a reference to here. Uh, I will destroy you, old covering uh, cherub, because your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. 
and I cast you to the ground. I laid you before kings that they might gaze at you. You defiled your sanctuaries. Okay, we're talking about Satan here. On Sunday, just a little teaser for this week, we're going to be studying the church of Pergamos. Uh, Mary's gonna be doing an update just on, um, well, I'm not gonna give that too much away, but she's doing an update that goes along with this. And what it says about Pergamos, and I'm gonna get into detail on this on Sunday, it says where Satan's seat is. Now, on Sunday, I'm gonna tell you how it ended up in Pergamos. Um, I can tease you a little bit more with that one. It was started in Babylon, but something happened so that it ended up in Pergamos. But I'm gonna leave that till Sunday. But it says where Satan's throne is is actually a part of the declaration that the Lord gives to the church of Pergamos. And I find it interesting here that he has his sanctuaries. More on that on on Sunday, quite a bit more. It says, by the multitude of your iniquities, by the iniquity of your trading. Again, that brings more questions than answers. Therefore, I brought fire from your midst. It devoured you, and I turned you into ashes upon the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who knew you among the peoples are astonished at you. You have become a whore, and you shall be no more forever. All right, well, this is still future tense, and I want to take you at this time to where this is fulfilled. We were just in Revelation. Let's go back to chapter 20, Revelation 20, and um, we'll just look. Well, I've already made mention that he's been shut up and sealed. Um, Chapter 20, verse 2, lay hold of the, the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and and bound him for a thousand years, cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more until the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And the question is, why? Because now the kingdom age is coming to an end, the thousand years. And during this period of time, um, longevity of life, The curse would have been removed from the earth. And during this period of time, um, the earth is going to be in the millions, if not billions, again. But now we're getting ready to enter into eternity, into heaven. So we go from the church age to the rapture to the seven-year tribulation period. At the end of the seven-year tribulation period, we have Satan cast into the spit for a thousand years, but then he's released. And the question is why? To give an alternative just like he gave Adam and Eve in the garden. So he deceives the nations. It says in verse seven, when a thousand years have expired, Satan will be released from his prison and will go out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them to battle whose number is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, that's Jerusalem, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. Now I'm coming here because I want to show you his fate, the fate of the adversary of our souls, his final destiny. We just read, I will destroy you again and you will be you shall be no more forever. Well, we don't have complete clarity with this verse, but we have now more complete clarity when we read it in Revelation 20, verse 10. The Lord is done using him. And now in verse 10, we find his fate. And the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are. They've been there for a thousand years. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Remember on Sunday we talked about annihilationism and universalism? 
the idea that there, that everybody goes to heaven and there is no hell. And well, this says just the opposite right here. And we talked about the second death on Sunday. So what is his faith? Well, we read in Ezekiel 28 that you shall be no more forever. Well, in the sense that he will never, ever be able to be tempted again. You ever think to yourself, well, what if I get to heaven and I mess up? (laughs) And I blow it. And maybe I'll get tempted somehow. No, no more temptation. No more death, no more sorrow, no more suffering. And no more of the enemy slandering me, slandering you. He's gone. In this sense, you shall be no more. In what sense? And that he, he has the capacity because he will be tormented day and night forever. So you don't have, ever have to worry about messing up once you get to heaven. <laughs> Take comfort in that. And so, um, all because of pride. You know that what I, if I would say, what were, the, what were the sins of Sodom and Gomorrah, what would you say? Probably homosexuality. That was not the sin of Sodom. If you're taking notes, jot down Ezekiel 16, verse 49. And this was the sin of Sodom. I'm quoting Ezekiel 16, verse 49. Look, this was the iniquity of your sister Sodom. She and her daughter had pride. Fullness of food and abundance of idleness. That was her sin. That's quite a combination. Pride, fullness of food, and abundance of idleness. A lot of time on, on their hands, a lot of food. Sounds to me like the, the man who needed to, to um, build bigger barns because he was so prosperous. And um, he looked around and he said, well, I got it made. Look at all the stuff that I got. So I'll build some bigger barns. And um, I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry. And the Lord says, you fool. You've done these things, but your soul is going to be required of you this night. Now, this is something that we need to count our blessings every single day because none of us know what tomorrow's going to bring. Have I asked for an amen yet tonight? I don't think so. Good place for one. You don't know what tomorrow's going to, to bring. And the Bible study tonight is really about the danger of walking in pride. And the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah wasn't homosexuality. It was pride. It was fullness of food and abundance of idleness. Oh, sure, the sexual sins were there too. But that's not, uh, I said, neither did she strengthen the hand of the poor or the needy. What does that tell us? They were totally self-centered. It was all about me, myself, and I. So, Let's go back and finish uh, chapter four of Daniel. His second dream. You know, we get sayings from the Bible. You ever hear the saying, he got cut down to size? Yeah, this is where it comes from. We have these sayings that come out of the scripture. Well, he got cut down to size. Well, where does that come from? Well, it comes from Daniel chapter four. And he got cut down and humbled. Well, the rest of the chapter begins with chapter 34 and this, this is the restoration of him because now it says in verse 34, at the end of the time, I Nebuchadnezzar lifted my eyes to heaven. So after seven years and my understanding returned to me and I blessed the Most High and I praise and honor him who lives forever. For his dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He does according to his will in the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, no one can restrain his hand or say to him, what have you done? And at the same time, my reason returned to me And for the glory of my kingdom, my honor and splendor returned to me. My counselors and nobles resorted to me. I was restored to my kingdom 
and my excellent majesty was added to me. Now, this is a personal testimony. He's given his testimony. This is what happened to me. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven of all whose works are true and his ways are just. And how does he end his testimony? With this verse. And those who walk in pride, he is able to abase. Now if I was the way this should be um, read, I would go back now to chapter four and read the first three verses again because I really think that he's now making this declaration He's giving his testimony. What does he do with it? Nebuchadnezzar, the king, to all peoples, nations, and languages who dwell on the earth. Here's his testimony. Peace be multiplied to you. I thought it good to declare the signs and wonders that the most high God has worked for me. How great are his signs and how mighty his wonders. His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and his dominion is from generation to generation. And so now we have pretty much uh, the personal ending story of Nebuchadnezzar. He's going to fade as um, um, one of his descendants will take the throne. But let's just, um, let me give you a couple scriptures. And the one that comes to mind with that is what the worship team sang earlier, Micah 6.8. He has shown you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? What does God want of me? Well, he wants to be, to do justice. He wants me to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. James 4 verse 6 says, he gives more grace, therefore he says, and he quotes the Old Testament, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 1 Peter 5, 5 says, Likewise, you younger people, submit yourself to your elders. Yes, all of you be submissive one to another. Be clothed with humility. For, and then it quotes the Old Testament again, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Nebuchadnezzar learned his lesson, and he needed to get cut down to size. And... Um, this isn't in my notes, but it's, it's a news story that I um, walked out of the house tonight. I don't know this musician, but evidently he's very famous, and he just, he was a preacher's kid. He's part of a very famous band. You can go home and it's all over the internet right now um, because he's renouncing everything and declaring that he's an atheist. Part of a very famous, does somebody know the, the group that I'm talking about here? Hawk say, say it out loud because my hearing's. Hawk Nelson. Hob, Hawk. Hawk. What else? Nelson. Hawk Nelson. Yeah. I knew that. I know. Hawk Nelson. Yeah, I just tested to make sure you guys know. No. <laughs> no, it's interesting to me in, in light of everything that we're talking about here tonight. How can one fall? You know, my personal thing is this this guy probably never knew the Lord at all. But yet, he's world famous. And now, he, uh, the the other uh, thing that's breaking with it, the story that went alongside of it, is atheists now are creating their own churches. And um, and that was the, the title next to this particular story. And now, people are wanting atheist churches in their community. I mean, what do you do in an atheist church? <laughs> Talk about what you don't believe in. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, and again, I'll, uh, I'm right at my time, so good timing. Um, in these days, my friends, unless you do have that personal relationship with Jesus, and again, you can't muster up humility. can't do it. True humility comes in a way that it came to Isaiah. He says, I saw the, the Lord high and lifted up and his throne filled the temple. And he says, when I saw it, he had to put his hand over his mouth and he said, 
Um, I'm an unclean man with an unclean mouth. And my point is, it was only when he was in God's presence did he realize just what a wretch he was. Same with Peter. Remember the great catch when Peter uh, had to get down in the boat and said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. All of a sudden, he's conscious that God's in the boat with him. So humility isn't something that we can muster up. But if you have your personal walk with him and you talk to him and you walk with him on a, a daily basis, the Lord keeps you in that place of humility. And if for any reason, like Pastor Chuck always used to say, if anybody compliments you uh, with the gift that God has given to you, be gracious, say thank you. And you don't have to say praise the Lord out loud, but you better be doing it in the back of your head. <laughs> you better be saying, Lord, all good and perfect gifts come from above. And you get all, all the praise and you get all the glory. And we just get to be a part of it. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we see the greatest man in the greatest kingdom, Babylon, um, literally cut down to size because he took the glory of what was your kingdom. You raised him up to be an instrument to discipline your people. And Lord, after you dealt with him, he says, those who walk in pride, you're able to abase. And we're, we're just grateful that we do know you, Lord, that we do know your word. We know um, what's going to happen before it happens because your word is clear as we read through Daniel and the book of Revelation. So Lord, as we go out tonight, we just pray that you'd direct our steps, use us as instruments during this time where people might be more open than usual, where we can actually explain to them biblically um, why these things are happening. So bless your people, I pray this night, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Down his eyes. And um, this isn't in my notes, but it's, it's a news story that I um, walked out of the house tonight. I don't know this musician, but evidently he's very famous. And he just, he was a preacher's kid. He's part of a very famous Band, you can go home and it's all over the internet right now um, because he's renouncing everything and declaring that he's an atheist. Part of a very famous, does somebody know the, the group that I'm talking about here? Say, say it out loud because my hearing's. Hob. Hawk. Hawk. What else? Hawk Nelson. I knew that. I know. Hawk Nelson. Yeah, I just test to make sure you guys know. No, no. It's interesting to me, in, in light of everything that we're talking about here tonight, how can one fall? You know, my personal thing is this: this guy probably never knew the Lord at all, but yet he's world famous, and now he, uh, the 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 other uh, thing that's breaking with it, the story that went alongside of it, is. Atheists now are creating their own churches. And, um, and that was a, the, the title next to this particular story. And now people are wanting atheist churches in their community. I mean, what do you do in an atheist church? <laughs> Talk about what you don't believe in. <laughs> but here's the thing. You know, and again, I, I'll, uh, I'm right at my time, so good timing. Um, in these days, my friends, unless you do have that personal relationship with Jesus, and again, you can't muster up humility. can't do it. True humility comes in a way that it came to Isaiah. He says, I saw the, the Lord high and lifted up, and his throne filled the temple. And he says, when I saw it, he had to put his hand over his mouth and he said, um, I'm an unclean man with an unclean mouth. And my point is, it was only when he was in God's presence did he realize just what a wretch he was. Same with Peter. Remember the great catch when Peter uh, had to get down in the boat and said, Lord, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. All of a sudden, he's conscious that God's in the boat with him. So humility isn't something that we can muster up.
But if you have your personal walk with him and you talk to him and you walk with him on a, a daily basis, the Lord keeps you in that place of humility. And if for any reason, like Pastor Chuck always used to say, if anybody compliments you uh, with the gift that God has given to you, be gracious, say thank you. And you don't have to say praise the Lord out loud, but you better be doing it in the back of your head. <laughs> you better be saying, Lord, all good and perfect gifts come from above. And you get all, all the praise and you get all the glory. And we just get to be a part of it. Thank you, Lord. Amen? Let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we see the greatest man in the greatest kingdom, Babylon, um, literally cut down to size because he took the glory of what was your kingdom. You raised him up to be an instrument to discipline your people. And Lord, after you dealt with him, he says, those who walk in pride, you're able to abase. And we're, we're just grateful that we do know you, Lord, that we do know your word. We know um, what's going to happen before it happens because your word is clear as we read through Daniel and the book of Revelation. So Lord, as we go out tonight, we just pray that you'd direct our steps, use us as instruments during this time where people might be more open than usual, where we can actually explain to them biblically um, why these things are happening. So bless your people, I pray this night, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen.